This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! And thanks for tuning in to 90 for Chill, the podcast. This is your host, Cool Movies Darth. Just before we get into this episode, I just want to go and give our weekly disclaimers. I do slip a little bit in uh, my language when it comes to this podcast with the Poetic Critic. That's the Poetic Critic on Letterboxd in regards to the Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis classic. The other one, I should say, Earth Girls Are Easy. Basically, I do drop some obscenities, which I'm going to censor out, of course. But otherwise, I think there's some elements that come down to how Twitter treats people. I'm going to give you a heads up. I might say some things that are immediately appalling if you don't get to know me. So that's what I'm going to say is what you have to look forward to. In the meantime, though, as I said, we're probably going to need to address Into the Spider-Verse to see if Turning Red is the best animated feature of recent times. So... I'll get into that review, and then we will talk with the poetic critic about Earth Girls Are Easy. Thank you. Hold on to your butts. Previously on 94 Chill, the podcast. This Christmas, enter a world where more than one wears the mask. Miles Morales. You're going to teach me to be Spider-Man. Peter Parker. Time to sway. And it's a no on the cape. I think it's cool. Hey, guys. Spider-Gwen. Let's go. What a waste of energy. No one's even chasing us. Hey, fellas. Spider-Noir. Hi. Penny Parker. And... This could not get any weirder. Spider-Ham. It can get weirder. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, only in theaters. And it finally concluded, a Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I don't know, because I said on my last podcast about Turning Red being the best animated film since... Coco. I will give the guys at Sony credit. This movie definitely, apparently from a directorial standpoint, is far more brilliant with all the special blends of animation trying to just tell us that we are merging multiple worlds into this feature. I think it works. It's just that there is so much. It's kind of like when I read a comic book. So I guess this makes it even better because of the authenticity that I want to stop and capture every detail. So it, in a sense, might make it a little more difficult to watch because you get to see so much stuff that you want to stop and focus on. The narrative is strong. I think it could have worked better as like a miniseries, perhaps. Nearly two hours for an animated movie, especially when you do the gag. And I guess it's a gag, which fits the humor of uh, Miller and Lord who are responsible for the Lego movie. It's just that kind of stops the narrative dead so many times. And, I, and again, I know it's a joke when they do that, except when they it's not a joke, like at the end. But it's a story about Miles Morales basically witnessing Peter Parker die while he was trying to stop Kingpin from creating a multi-dimensional, well, a gateway that Kingpin can meet his family that ran away from him over his Spider-Man obsession. The result, though, of the attempt to stop Kingpin from opening this multi-dimension is that five other Spider-Men, so it's in the trailer. I mean, it's a fun movie. As I say, it's just so much stuff going on that it's kind of demands a second watch, so 
it's definitely a must buy on top of things. So I really kind of am torn if this is brilliant or just way too much. I'm not gonna say it's better than Turning Red. I can see where people will say that. And I'm glad I've made this purchase. But come on, Sony, get really into the streaming game, please. Netflix costs too much. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. And thank you for returning to 90 for Chill, the podcast. Again, this is your host, Cool Movies Darth. It might be easier just to find me on all your podcast apps under Russ Stevens. Stevens spelled the correct way with a V. You can follow what I'm watching at uh, Letterboxd. The username is cmdarth. And this week, the Poetic Critic came through yet again. And I think this is one of the podcasts we had more fun with because this is a movie that's definitely up my older sister's alley. It's Earth Girls Are Easy featuring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis in your leads. But in your supporting cast, you have what is essentially a Judy Brown personal project and Jim Carrey and Marlon Wayans before in Living Color. So we get the, a lot of fond memories from my older sister in regards to that because the Asperger's kind of made her a fan of everybody in this. When FX finally hit cable in Living Color was our nightly thing. She's not the type, I would say, who'd run out to see an Ace Ventura movie but Jim Carrey had that presence, though, and was able to convince her otherwise. And Goldblum never seems to miss. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. I'll ask about other things, as I said, in the disclaimer. Go to my Twitter account, at CatBusRuss, where I prefer to have all my hate sent to. You'll see that a lot of people get angry at me just because I say something. And it's not ever to insult anybody it's just to give another side i suppose like what goes on is basically this okay everybody's got this opinion especially with woke culture and i'm not knocking it i'm a big supporter of it but they got a tendency to say well if you don't agree with us full-heartedly or if you think otherwise or consider the possibility that we're wrong you're basically the kind of person who wants Elon Musk owning Twitter, which is the last thing I want. You know, the poetic critic, she's safe. She won't offend you at all. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you want to be on the podcast, send an email to rustthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-07 at gmail.com with a movie, a theme, a director, an actor. As long as we focus on sub-100-minute material, I'm sure we'll have some podcast gold. Otherwise, rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps, preferably five-star ratings. I know if I get a guest, I do that for theirs. As always, thanks, Stacia Harden, for looking after my butt. I guess you would be what made me into a spider person. <laughs> Sorry, roundabout way, but thanks, Stacia. And thanks again for everybody coming to 90 for Chill, the podcast. I'm going to show you something that's going to totally change your life completely forever. She's a brunette from Southern California. And he's not. I need romance. I need surprises. 
They may be from outer space. So, they can still be dates. I think we could just make them look more sort of human. Hey, come on, everybody. We're doing a makeover. But underneath, they're more than human. Wow, you're incredible. I could fix you up with some birdacious chips, just like that. I can't believe you're fringing an alien in front of all these people. Are we limp and hard to manage? Wait a minute, are you, like, coming on to me? Her boyfriend's a doctor. I've never, ever been unfaithful to you. Whose treatment is totally alienating. Here comes Dr. Love. And her new love's an alien who's more than accommodating. Do you own your own home or do you rent it? Gina Davis, Julie Brown, and Jeff Goldblum in a film directed by Julian Temple and produced by Tony Garnett. I just don't want you to think Earth Girls are easy. Earth Girls are easy. And welcome back to 90 for Chill, the podcast this week, pulling all, well, you know what, you can always count on her if you offer a crumb of Jim Carrey and a large morsel of Jeff Goldblum. The Poetic Critic is back. Thanks for uh, coming up in a pinch. I didn't want to have two weeks in a row where I'm trying to fake the show. That's fine. All right. Very cool. So, I mean, just, you know, your formalities and a little catching up to do. Um, so, you know, last week's podcast was a, was a turning red dwarf. <laughs> so right. uh, uh, if you, uh, act, I've got my apple set up on your fire stick. So if you want to watch uh, red dwarf, the promised land, and I mean, it's, everything you could want about red dwarf you got uh references to season one which of course is more just a studio show and then you get a lot of cat jokes and you get holly so uh otherwise uh turning red i was very much impressed by um am i uh sounding a little too um positive about that film no i haven't seen this yet oh okay i've kind of fallen out of following the animated features yeah i understand that i understand that when i declare this is the best one since coco i mean i think the only thing that could come in between there would be uh lego batman Hmm. and um now lego batman just is a little too long which is kind of sad now that i think about you're uh going to uh speak poorly of a bet a film that takes away man in the mirror from michael jackson <laughs> no that was batman yeah i said that <laughs> <laughs> um but uh let's see otherwise other things we like to chat about and i got the list all pulled up that's uh because you know fortunately with pluto tv making a 90 minute movie two hours long <laughs> And with uh, Earth Girls Are Easy, it's a one hour, 39 minute or 38, yeah. 38 minutes and two minutes of credits. Gosh, I miss the days where it was just two minutes of credits. Yeah, it is yeah. weird sometimes going back to these 80s movies in particular. 
And it's not really till the 90s that you start getting longer than usual credit reels. Right. I think it was all Little Mermaid. Um, I'm just saying that because that was a Disney's return to form, dare I say. And yeah. And you, you know, I remember wait, waiting outside Pekin Mall as you, I want to watch the credits. <laughs> so. I remember we sat in for, when we first saw the movie in Buffalo back in 1989. Uh, we did sit around for the first stretch of the end credits. Yeah. Because we wanted to hear the Under the Sea song again. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Um because I thought that was unusual too that we just all decide, we just all sat down and kept sitting around for it. I didn't mind, but it mm. was unusual. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. When I mean, the only you're the second oldest. No, well, I think you're. I don't recall our cousin Bart's birthday. I know you're both seventy-eight kids, so uh, you're either the second or third oldest of this generation of Stevens. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's definitely weird for me being a nine-year. Well, I, I don't know when I really started to embrace credits. I guess, um, I think that honestly probably came around DVD time, or maybe, maybe the Star Wars trilogy, just because. Uh, or I guess all the default of my childhood, as I like to say, like we had. Willy Wonka, which was universally appraised by every Stevens family member. We had Flash Gordon, who, yeah. you know, mom's intro, intro to English cinema, really, when you think about it. And um, I really want to talk to mom because I am excited for Chippendale uh, Rescue Rangers, the movie. Like, it looks like the perfect possibility of either being awesome meta stuff or it's going to be absolute garbage um so and then there was uh the star wars trilogy so um so yeah i mean by the and i think you know by the time you know we actually were able to get vhs tapes the star wars trilogy which i'd say would be 86 otherwise we were watching all the bootlegs not really bootlegs, you know, whatever Uncle Jim taped off of HBO at the time. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think we were exactly cinephiles. Maybe not until the Bond Bond series. And, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, but like near the late 80s. Yeah, I mean, which is which is apropos because, you know, as you're cruising the valley, you want to check out a James Bond movie. Uh, I'm paying attention. So the alcohol did not come out until after. Like, all right, finish this eh, iffy cover of. Uh, oh shoot! What was the song at the end of the credits? End credits for uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. Uh, cover of Love Train. Yeah, yeah. Hollow notes. It was Hollow notes cover of it, it for the end credits. All and right. The OJ's. Yeah, of course. And it's like, but yeah, that, that's Hall Notes. Um, oh, the end credits. Yeah, no, that that was definitely after their prime then. <laughs> uh, I don't know. After, um, like, mom and I, and I kind of miss it honestly because it gave me an excuse to go to movie theaters. Was mom wanting? Mom is a great, great is a fan of cinema. She likes the experience. I should say. Yeah, the experience of going to a movie. 
Right. So it's kind of, yeah, I do kind of miss, you know, mom saying, hey, Russ, you want to catch a movie? Um, mm-hmm. But then you get movies like You Again. <laughs> and why I probably always suggest conspiracy theories that Betty White was doing some Highlander shit to the other members of the Golden Girls. If I'm not mistaken, she was the oldest member of the Golden Girls going into the series. Yeah, I think that I think so. Yeah, so I don't know. Robot Chicken Sketch missed, I suppose. Like, um, we could have instead of doing Lindsay Lohan versus Hillary Duff for the Highlander parody. Um, but uh, I will suggest uh, saying just catching it going back. I would suggest watching Turning Red. I loved it. Um, and then if you want a movie that you somebody that white men can't uh, relate to or be difficult to, because I thought it was a great work of cinema, Studio Ghibli's Only Yesterday. And I only bring that up because there's a steel case sitting at my retailer job. <laughs> and it's like, it's not really a fun movie, but it was good. And I'm still confused why Daisy Ridley was allowed to do an English accent in Star Wars when she can obviously do an American one. But I digress. That movie's definitely for the ladies. I will say that one. Only yesterday. Because, yeah, uh, especially when we get to the Red Plague sequence. <laughs> but I guess that was the key reason Disney left off begged off on trying to do an official dub back in the day yeah i could see that because turner classic movies when they did the ghibli retrospective in 2006 they could only get the subtitle version of the movie there wasn't an official dub available they wanted to show all the movies and that was one of the only ways anybody saw that movie in the u.s until they finally got the english dub made yeah tcm showed it once with subtitles well, that's that's a cool thing, and thank you TCM, thank you HBO Max, and don't screw this up, Discovery. I mean, it was bad enough having to deal with AT and T as the owners of HBO. <laughs> uh, I only say that, especially since I'm a wrestling fan, and it's like Discovery doesn't want any scripted programming. It's like, well, is wrestling truly scripted? as a professional wrestler it's not but i can see where the confusion could get in so i don't know we could have a revolution ended i mean it it could be bad times just all around in the next couple months like all right no abortions and okay no wrestling on except for wwe because somebody doesn't want to be associated with it that that is something I'd like to talk to mom about. Not the wrestling. Well, I don't know. Maybe the wrestling portion, because I think they think it corrupted their little baby. So, um, yeah. So I'm still working towards getting us on track. I just got one other note. Um, I know it's not. At least from what I've heard, it's not as well reviewed as most Marvel movies. But Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, I'm sure it's still going to be number one this weekend, but um, at least I didn't see too high cinema scores, or I should say audience scores. 
on that one. Well, there's a lot of debate about the audience scores, you know. Yeah, and, I. I mean, on the Twitter sphere, uh, the the issues that people seem to have with the movie, without going too far into spoilers, are there weren't enough cameos, that the violence was too strong for PG thirteen. I've heard point. that. Yeah, I've definitely and heard that. A lot of comp- a lot of debate over Scarlet Witch's arc. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's when it comes to Scarlet Witch, she had an entire series, so it's like, I don't know. I think it probably fits in well, but I, I've watched it. I just think we finally hit the Marvel fatigue. It's possible we're approaching that point, but you know they've said that many times before. Well, I just say that because you have an excellent, thes- probably the best thespian of the entire f- franchise in Benedict Cumberbatch. His movie, like, hey, Chris Hemsworth is a fine actor, but I know why the ladies come to Thor. Uh, Chris Evans is a solid actor, honestly. I think he's might be the Next best to Robert Downey Jr. from the original patch. I mean, I, I'd probably lean towards Jeremy Renner just because I know he the work he did beforehand. I digress. It just kind of, for me, it just kind of worries me that, like, okay, the best actor the series still has, and we're not really going for it. Which I shouldn't say because it's going to be number one for two weeks in a row. But, of course, when it comes to The Poetic Critic, that's The Poetic Critic on Letterboxd. And I'm sorry to be so dim. I didn't realize you were doing poetry. I thought, yeah, freeform reviews. Cool. Um, No, and then it's like, oh, yeah, that's poetry, Russ. Come on. get I'm sorry, I'm a fan of the restrictions poetry tends to offer in many styles. I love haiku. You know? Part of the reason when I joined Letterboxd, I went with that angle, was because I wasn't sure what I could bring to review. I didn't want to do huge page-long reviews of anything, but also, in part, maybe part of it was I was going to be covering mostly older movies by nature that I wanted to find an angle on it that would be unique. So I decided to go with poems. I'm, I'm not the first person who's ever done that. No, you obviously not. But, I mean, but no, I was like, I, I think you've done a great job of like, you got the right handle and you know, it's, and you know, a lot of people can be poetic critics, not the poetic critic, but there's a lot of morons out there. I hate to say with cinema. As I get prepped for a uh, Doom podcast, I, at least I hope, gosh, I hope it's worth the $90 upgrading my Zoom so I can have four people in at one time. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my nature. I'm very, yeah. So, um yeah so let's see but my primarily transition from 
normal bull poop. Gonna limit my S words. And if you've listened to the podcast, I do my best to give um, to be Disney like and giving you context warnings. <laughs> um, especially last week, it was basically, "Look, I'm not Asian, but I'm gonna do my best." Like you have a movie with James Hong, I'm gonna be there. <laughs> I mean, it's not Ninja Three: The Domination, but. Uh, otherwise, and I think it's my transitional statement, is like I've been seeing on Facebook via movie web and all that other bollocks, we're looking for, and I guess you got imagery, we're looking at Spinal Tap Tap 2 finally. Yes, they've uh, confirmed uh, they are, they've got well, they've got the band back together, so to speak. I guess Harry Shearer was a holdout. Oh, that's... But, but they do, they are doing a 40 years on sequel that would be released in 2024 that will pick up the storyline. I don't want to wait till 2024. Your spinal tap. You can screw up timelines. No, the idea that it's 40 years on is important to the plot. Yeah, but we already know the know their manager is dead. That was kind of like well, that, well, that's part of the premise. Oh. They have to come back together and do one more concert or they're going to get sued by his widow. Oh, okay. No, the, no, that is our contract issue. No, that is awesome. That is an awesome premise. So, yeah, I'm there. It's very difficult to try putting um, Spinal Tap on this podcast basically because of the trailer. Which I tried showing to Allie, like, let's watch this movie. Here's the trailer. All right. You went with the pre- you went with the uh, teaser, didn't you? I went with what Apple offered me. <laughs> and and that was the cheese rolling festival. One. Yes. Oh yes. I mean, I don't know how you're not going to be impressed by that. <laughs> That's me. Uh, in the meantime, though, I did. Um, Allie was asking me about how my day off was going. And I said, well, you know, we'll find out after this podcast about Earth Girls Are Easy. And I showed, sent an image and she's like, oh, Jim Carrey? I'd love that movie. It's like, yeah, you weren't exactly a fan of kidding. <laughs> we watched the first episode together and it's like, oh, you don't want to go down that route. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you could I mean, besides for Frank Langella turning out to be an egotistical monster recently. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could not want to try to endure kidding. Um, well, it kind of came and went at the time. It lasted two seasons. Yeah, which was what I expected. <laughs> yeah, but it, there's been some talk on Twitter today about how a lot of these new cable and streaming projects have these big, you know, these big stars from the eighties and nineties, and they're not getting re- really paid attention to. Yeah. And kidding kind of flew on, un- just really flew under the radar. Yeah. I think Don Sheetle's kind of saturated the market myself. Cause I was, a, I, I was a fan, like, especially of Showtime. Cause I was a fan of, uh, Oh, geez. I say I was a fan of it's like, I can't remember the name of the first series he did with Showtime. It had Kirsten Bell, Ben Schwartz. I mean, all the right pieces. Mm-hmm. I uh, can't remember what it was either. You know, it's very hard. 
yeah i mean that's that just says it right there if i'm not pulling up that information just out of memory uh i thought dollar signs were in the title let's see come on billion no billions is beloved by so many people especially wrestling fans because that guy who wrote the series is very quick to show up on wrestling podcast right uh don Sheetle. it's not obviously i'm not talking about black monday or black friday no it was black monday but uh okay and i'm pretty much a follower of don Sheetle, which is even sadder uh don't look deeper ducktail adventures civil war i mean it was kind of a lot of fun when i just noticed don Sheetle in our podcast we did for um what was it um oh um when i did uh, my podcast with tim loss i hope his tour is doing great um it was a house of lies that was the series uh which i thought was a lot of fun i mean it's not i mean you don't need to and i guess that's the problem with uh episodic uh television right now is you have to make it so people are going to tune in each week Mm -hmm. um and house of lies is very not a sitcom by any stretch of the imagination but you know yeah, you can uh, pick and choose your episodes with that one. So, um, yeah, so that's, yeah, so Showtime, I I guess, is Showtime ever going to get the prestige of HBO? I don't know. Because, I mean, you, you have billions, and I know there were a lot of fans of the um, Claire Danes series. See, again, I can only remember the actors, not the series names. Yeah. Um, which pretty much tells you how Showtime's going. I mean, with that said, though, I didn't intend to get to there. I know because somehow it's pulling up on all my retailers' uh, demo reels for televisions. Man that fell to Earth. Yeah. It's got Bill Nye, so I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, do I slip it? Well, I don't know. I'm going to try to go context warning free, despite it's very tempting to talk about David Bowie bum, but I digress with that. So, but what I meant to do with spinal tap two was to go into the earth girls are easy conversation, which you know, I'll just address it right now. It's like, I know in 1989, Michael McKeon didn't have a, um, what is the term? Playing to your type, your role. And not having a character type so much. Right. Yeah. I loved him as Woody. I mean, it's a. Oh, yeah. He, he, that is one. This is a really well cast movie across the board. Yes. I'll... It is kind of nice to see McKeon kind of what is kind of. Against type, yeah. I mean, ever since um, he got associated with Lauren Michaels, he was kind of the very stiff straight man. Like, uh, in hindsight, I think uh, 
Coneheads was probably one of the better Saturday Night Live movies. But, you know, Michael Keen, McKeon's playing a tight ass. And you can even see that in, I would say, at least, um, I can't recall if he was in uh, Waiting for Guffman. I don't think he was. He got a credit for something, but I know he was, like, uh, the only improv movies I've seen from Christopher Guest are Waiting for Guffman and For Your Consideration, where he's the screenwriter of um, home for Purim, which ends up being turned into home for Thanksgiving. And I've been flirting with a lot of Jewish chicks lately. There is a big gap between Purim and Thanksgiving. So don't let don't let Christopher Guest be your guide to the Hasidic faith. Uh, is what I'm saying. Um, but you know, it brings me back to so. We're let's rewind the clock to I'd say 1995. I think it's fair. Um, Jim Carrey is taking Cinema by Storm in 1994 with um, Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber and The Mask. Yeah, that that is a run. I don't. That is somebody suddenly coming to stardom i think we'll never see anything quite like that again yes there's no question to that um so in the meantime against mother's intentions we are watching in living color reruns on effects yeah <laughs> and i think effects had two movies at the time uh, blame it on Rio and Earth Girls are easy. Oh, I see. I didn't realize they were. I don't remember them showing it that often, but I could believe it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think Comedy Central yeah, Comedy got Central it more. Also liked, that was one of the movies Comedy Central liked to run a lot at the time, too, along with like Monty Python and the Holy Grail and UHF. Yeah, right. The The classics of the era. Um, I hate to I hate to blame your Aspergers for anything. Besides, for the fact that I didn't get to kick the ass of all those who would be seniors if you would have graduated when the state intended. <laughs> and that was my biggest looking forward to high school. Yeah, wrestling scholarship sounds cool, but beating the crap out of people who bullied my older sister. Um, so yeah I, it was probably on Comedy Central more which brings me up to another uh, statement is why are we letting Lionsgates buy the rights to anything yeah I know the, um, Lionsgate ha- is infamous I guess for being stingy with all the libraries they acquired and although they have been bringing out a lot of the best room films that this, this one has not had a physical media release since the turn of the millennium. And it only relatively recently became available on streaming services like Pluto and Tubi. Yeah. And um, I do check periodically because I know there's there would be a lot of demand for this on a Blu-ray. Long oh, yeah. But 
they haven't got to those yet. Well, near 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 dark near titles. Right. Well, near dark did make the Blu-ray because I own it. But that was a cash in on the whole Twilight thing. Everybody was bringing out their vampires. Oh no, you're you're exactly right about that because it was easy to find at Walmart for like three years stretch and then gone. Uh, which of course they own Mother Love and Twilight, so yeah. But yeah, they they ha- I don't know why they haven't jumped on getting Earth Girls or Easy to Blu-ray yet because there's demand for it. TCM ran this one last year, that um, and it, you know if TCM Underground shows it, it's a pretty good chance you're going to get that they had a good reason for it. They curate, I think. TCM Underground curates stuff pretty well. Yeah, but with that said, though, it's like, okay, Lionsgate produced, distributed um, Shadow of the Vampire, which I saw saw a couple times in theaters to speak of its value, and yet I'm going to pay $15 for a copy at this slash Mega Replay, like, no, they are really kind of screwing the uh, the fandom out, I suppose. Uh, right. Uh, but with that said, since I watched this on Pluto, uh, well, what first? Uh, Pluto commercials make me regretting make me regret the soundbar purchase I had. <laughs> uh, I say that is in like you know how it goes. You have. You're living in a direct TV household. Mm-hmm. And when you watch something on demand, the commercials are actually lighter than the series, the show. Yeah. Not the case when you're watching it on Pluto. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you have a soundbar? You're going to want to listen to every detail about Geico and State Farm and Samsung. Like, no, no. <laughs> I got to turn the volume down and then turn it back up, which is good because my Exignia soundbar is like, yeah, it'll flake out after about it's an hour. It's been a classic problem with TV commercials. I mean, back in our old analog days, that was frequent complaint that people had was that the commercials were way louder than the TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, and it it's generally still the case. I mean, even on YouTube, it's like I've sent as many tweets as I can saying that Representative Robert uh, Rodney Davis is a freaking fascist who's capitalizing on the fact that his district has a prison of people who can't vote. <laughs> um, and, I'm, and I'm kind of disappointed that there wasn't a Stephanie Smith for Congress run this year. Um, yeah, having to put up the YouTube commercials, and it's like, yeah, but so many people just say it's worth paying the money to get YouTube premium <laughs> to avoid them, and kind of tempted. Um, then I look at the fa- look at my freaking budget and my Smack- oh, jeez, and my debt. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, maybe YouTube premium is not for me, but um. And then on top of that, and I think I had it noted somewhere else, it's like, I do think Pluto's commercials are a lot longer than uh, Tubi's. Oh, yeah. They're a lot longer. Uh, okay. I'm glad I... think I... part of it is they want to fill out a time slot 
That's true. I do. Hey, I I do appreciate the fact that they told me to uh, like they tell you the runtime of what your experience is with Pluto. Yeah, it's going to take you two hours to watch a hundred and forty minute movie. And I'm not upset. It's just more of like, but you, I don't want to give Fox credit for anything. But it's kind of like. eh. So I can't skip a Febreze commercial. I can't skip those on YouTube, which makes me wonder where Febreze's money is coming from. Um, so, but I think we're to the point where it's like, let's let's get to the actual movie. That, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, you know, right off the bat, you do have to deal with uh, Dream Quest images effects. Well, I think... Uh the effects work well for the movie. I I do think that I I can't disagree with that. Um I don't know, this is 1988. We just had Bill and Ted. It's kind of like Well that that's an interesting thing to bring up is Bill and Ted because these movies were roughly shot around the same time. Yeah. Doing well, photography in 1987. Right, as I said, you know, you're cruising down the valley and it's like I'm sorry. I love the uh, ladies, but a theater with big bright signs saying the living daylights on it. <laughs> and that's, it, but yeah. Because uh, they were, and they were both shot at the same time for the same company. There's an interesting backstory behind. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely, definitely feel the Nelson Entertainment vibe. Right. Well, let me run it down. One Earth Girls Are Easy was originally going to be a project at Warner Brothers. Okay. Julie Brown brought there, and Julian Temple was attached to direct. Which, he does a great job directing this movie. Yeah, I I wish he had more money. (laughs) Yeah, the problem was, Temple, if you're not familiar with who Julian Temple is, he is a music documentarian, and uh, one of the early big name directors who did music videos yes i found that out and then um he's responsible for the uh sex pistols doc right uh yeah great rock and roll swindle the thing is he made his big jump to narrative features in 1986 with a film for the uk company gold crest film gold crest called absolute beginners yes oh i i thought had this huge budget I thought that was um, the director of Vita, Alan Parker. No, that's Alan Parker didn't do that. Oh. Alan Parker did The Wall. Okay. Actually, this point in the 80s, he was getting ready to do Angel Heart. Yes, which I recommend worth a watch. I'm not saying it's a repeat repeat film, but hey, Robert De Niro as Louis Cipher. And I'll let you, let the audience know. figure out what louis cypher stands for okay now what happened was uh absolute beginners was a very expensive production oh yes <laughs> standards and when it came out in 1986 it was a commercial disaster yep and do because it did that badly warner brothers said we're not going to do earth girls easy. Um, and yeah they had to chop it around to another studio it ended up that De Laurenti Entertainment Group, or DEG. Is that De Laurentiis? Yes. Okay. Uh, Dina De Laurenti. 
Dina De Laurentiis. And the, for those who really know 80s cinema. Oh, I, I, yeah, I know, know D.E.G. He was. Yeah. And they, green, you know, they greenlit the film. And they were also the original company that handled Bill and Ted. Yes, I did know that. These were both supposed to be DEG releases. They were being shot roughly around the same time in 1987. And what happened was, by the roughly by the end of that year, DEG just went belly up. They had had a bunch of flops. King Kong's sequel yeah, didn't King, help them. They had King Kong Lives, Crimes of the Heart, Taipan, uh, you know, Transformers and My Little Pony movies didn't do that well. Probably the biggest successes they had of that period would have been Blue Velvet and Manhunter, and those weren't giant commercial hits. Which I, I do have some Damon Wayans, uh, Michael Mann stuff to bring up later. <laughs> okay. So. And what happened? So what happened is both movies effectively ended up homeless, and even so, they were both pretty much completed. Yeah, I mean, Earth Girls. Apparently, Earth Girls are easy. Did have some problems uh, after they after the first rough cut ready, and there were some reshoots in early '88 and some re-edits done, but it was ready to go and. Technically, it's not a 1989 release so much as a 1988 one. Yep. They were able I, to get it to Toronto International Film Festival, kind of market it to potential distributors in the fall of 88. And, and some of the bigger studios were interested, but it ended up with Western Films because they were feeling kind of flush. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, but, you know, they had a gigantic kit with Dirty Dancing. They were doing well with the clutch of horror movies. Oh, no, I, as, as, as somebody, a former child model, (laughs) (laughs) who knows that uh, Child's Play was my only opportunity to get into cinema. (laughs) Yeah, I'm familiar with the Vestron story. Or at least that's all the imagery my agent had. (laughs) So and eventually they they got it out in May of '89, not not that far out from when Orion brought out Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which also needed they didn't have to do reshoots on Bill and Ted, but they did have to reloop some of the dialogue to so they wouldn't give away when the movie was originally shot. Yeah, I could I could see that, and I'm a big Bill. Obviously, this podcast yeah. is a big Bill and Ted supporter. And what I think is interesting is that. You know, Bill and Ted was a big hit, and Earth Girls Are Easy is really the distaff counterpart movie. I mean, yeah. it's two completely different creative groups, but they have a lot in common. Oh, yeah. setting and the openly whimsical tones. Both and movies should have been at PG-13. It is surprising that both these movies got PGs, because this was still when PG-13 really was the middle ground between PG and R. Yeah. It is kind of surprising. Right. Um, yeah, you definitely don't want kids doing a lot of emulating. I, I got I had the movie uh playing in playing uh just so I have a visual distraction or just something moving. Skimble move around a lot more. Um <laughs> which I did like Bambi the cat, I'll say that. Um yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I just saw Damon Wayans, you know, uh, uncapping the lava lamp. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, okay, yeah, kids should not see this movie just for that scene. Like, kids shouldn't, kids shouldn't see Rocky for the egg drinking scene. <laughs> it's basically the same thing, but there's definitely greater consequences than Salmonella. Yeah, um, of, now, Rick Easy is interesting because... Um, I don't often see these days a movie that I like more when I revisit it second time around. But Earth Girls Are Easy really grew on me in a way that a lot of the stuff I was... In a way, the the whole thing of going into the whole Jeff Goldblum deep dive and doing something similar with Gina Davis's movies was upon seeing this one about three years ago. Because... if. The, if there's a thing about absolute beginners that which i'll i'll just scream out there for the sake of our artistic fans david mother loving bowie all right oh you see absolute beginners does have some wonderful stuff the david bowie's big musical number is amazing yes no that's gets a great yes no i i've seen that too like I have not sat and watched beginning to end, but well, well, the thing with absolute beginners is this: there's this big hole in the middle, and it's that the central romance and the main storyline do not take off at all. And all uh, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> absolute beginners are kind of in the margins. Like the Ray Davies sequence is great; mm-hmm. it has no real plot relevance. Yes, you could tell that. No, I was watching. It's got a music video vibe. And again, Julian Temple, because I was yeah. looking over his um, filmography, and it's like, Mother Lover's gotten all this stuff. Like, Depeche Mode, David Bowie, Blur. Like, this 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 man deserves some, some credit. I mean... Criterion Channel did run a program of some of his music documentaries last year. Yeah, and I, I, right, those are probably his most regarded stuff. Yeah, but, um, but with Absolute Beginners, um, I mean, you see the budget on that movie, because for, for those not familiar with it, it's a, ni- a late 1950s period piece, and it's about the rise of youth culture in Britain at the end of the 50s, because they, they were a little late to later to rock and roll and stuff, because they had to rebuild after World War II. Right, my, my minorities and the rise of skinheads. Yeah, that's also part of it. It's, a bit, it's based on a very popular novel that was written at the t- from the time. And the prob- one of the problems with the movie is that it has that very serious plot involving what is effe- effectively a gentrification project, is what yep. we call it now. Oh, yeah. It's trying to push out the bohemians and the minorities from the neighborhood our hero lives in. And, but that doesn't really kick in until the back half of the movie. And okay, that's the first half is very fluffy, and is involved with the hero's romance with a gal who gets caught, who also gets caught up in the fashion scene, because it's also about how the youth movement was appropriated by capitalism and the adult generation, and how it was exploited. Well, and I mean, when you when you, too. yeah, I mean. For those who are uh, less politically involved, Margaret Thatcher had been a thorn in the side of politics all the way back since the late 1960s. I mean, Monty Python was making jokes about her. Yeah. Then, 
Um, yeah, so yeah, really uh, especially ironic with the times we're in, like, oh yeah, well, Margaret Thatcher took away people's rights. Let's now it's time for the Americans to do it. But yeah. Yeah. Absolute Beginners is worth a look at least once. Because uh, I mean it's another movie TCM Underground showed. In fact, last year they ran that and Earth Girls Are Easy Together as a double bill. It, it it just sounds so much more prestigious when you say TCM, even the word underground, and thinking that I saw these clips on flicks. Yeah. <laughs> That was where I first saw Absolute Beginners uh, yeah. on Flix. Flix right. had some really interesting stuff back oh. in the 90s. Turn of the oh, no, no. It was the stuff like... They um, had my breakfast with Blassie for a while. Oh, god damn, on that note. <laughs> you know, screw Andre, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, Flix was, Flix was pretty awesome. I mean... Uh, somehow I came across it just doing research because I recently watched Thief, which I think is a sequel, yeah. which I think is the prequel to Bulletproof because James Caan plays a character named Frank, who's a car dealership, who's covering his crimes in Bulletproof, while he's a car dealership owner who's covering his crimes in Thief. Now, look, Michael Mann versus Adam Sandler. You don't need to watch Bulletproof, in other words. But <laughs> Thief is a pretty solid movie. Yeah. Um, I I think it's like it sets it really establishes who Michael Mann is going to be. Yeah, it's it, it's got the Michael Mann green all over it. Yeah, and hey, you know I think I do, but you can re- you can rehash it. Michael Mann's between this and Manhunter, that guy's got a particular shade of tint of green he likes to use. No, nope, backdrops. Always, it goes all the way to heat. Yeah. Yeah. So, nope, you're you're there. I, I just, I'm just happy that Jim Belushi was getting work in 1981. Yeah. Which means, hey, he was a different person than his brother. Uh, I love Jim Belushi in The Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can have that conversation again. Like, as a podcast supports that supports the wrestler, Marty Skrull, who did a freaking Pinto from <laughs> Animal House. Or should I say Michael Anthony Hall from... Um, john hughes movies um 16 candles yeah it's i'm just saying it's like i'm not saying we're pro the podcast is pro um sex offender i'm just saying (laughs) it's like hey society kind of like you know we watch old school and we cheer on luke wilson despite the fact that he had a sex with a 17 year old in that movie Okay. So, okay, thank you. Okay, well. And there's there's our context warning for this episode. <laughs> Russ is pro pedophile. All right. That's sarcasm. <laughs> Not pro pedophile. Okay. Now, bringing it back around. 
thing about Absolute Beginners ultimately is that it has a great aesthetics and assembles this really interesting cast. Oh, yes. I'll give you that. I mean, you got Ray but Davies and Bowie David Bowie. There. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, James Fox, uh, Stephen Burkhoff has... Okay, case. all right, all right, all right. But it doesn't come together because the central couple doesn't really work and it doesn't quite handle the tonal shift into the second half as well well it's a little it starts out too lightweight for how serious it gets by the end oh that's a that's a huge flaw like it it, it basically ends with a west side story style dance confrontation slash riot yeah look kick him in the balls be right at the end of the first act (laughs) i'm sorry that's just a good rule but with earth girls are easy What's interesting is that the movie is very much a very light musical comedy. It's spun around a bunch of uh, songs Julie Brown had recorded for an EP called that was, Progress. That was something I was curious about because that was yeah. uh, something I noted. Uh, Gina Davis's lip syncing is not drag race ready. No, no that's her own singing. That's her own. Well, I'm just saying it may be her own singing, singing but I'm just saying yeah. the lip sync is off. <laughs> well maybe it, it it started out as like the title song and a few of the others were originally for an ep julie brown had done called goddess in progress earlier in the decade and so she then with her co-writers spun out this whimsical little story to string the songs around and just have fun with mm-hmm. and it works in that what it has over absolute beginners is that in this movie you have a really effective central couple and it takes that romance just seriously enough yes give it more weight than it would otherwise have i find it interesting that earth girls are easy does not although it has it definitely has a cult following now oh sorry i'm just gonna interrupt oh i'm totally black Sorry. <laughs> okay. That's why I'm at the movie just playing in the background. Yeah. Um, when, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, the scene where they reveal Jeff Goldblum coming out of the stand up tanning bed, that, is, that has become a meme. Yes. Well, <laughs> look, I'm going to say it like Goldblum as the ultimate. I don't know, man. I'm not saying it doesn't work. It's Jeff mother-loving Goldblum. It is kind of surprising this early on in his career. Right. But I mean, people didn't... The, uh, it, unless you were a horror fan, you didn't give a shit about Jeff Goldblum until Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. And and it's interesting is that uh, this is one of those films that's kind of had two separate lives with the cult following unlike Lomwees, because first in the mid-90s, people started noticing it because it was early work for both Jim Carrey and Damon Damon Wayans. Yeah. And did have a direct line into their Carrey doing In Living Color. Right. But then, roughly the time the modern cult of Jeff Goldblum began, the movie got another life from there, because it because it, it was very popular with the fangirl part of the band. Oh, no, the mother lover is rats. 
no, he he is totally waxed in this case. Yeah. Uh, but it does bring you up when you bring up Wayans and you bring up Carrie. How did In Living Color actually last four seasons? Because sketch comedy does not work in prime time. You know, it it wasn't easy. I was listening to with a sketch comedy i think part of it is is they had an unusually strong cast from the beginning and part of it is that you we did have the wayne's family as a base unit which is not something a lot of sketch comedies would have okay i'll give you that and which but would also, explain why it ended after the wayne's left yeah they, they left after season three and in season four, it was clear that Carrie wasn't going to be staying much longer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jamie Foxx was also starting to get more work elsewhere. And when they they tried bringing in more cast members and they didn't quite show. But it's just sad because they were all great. Like, I love it when I see Alexandra Wentworth show up oh, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Robin, Robin Teedy, I think, was on the mm-hmm. show and she shows up like. It was criminal that they canceled later. Um, ah, shit. If I can't remember the name, maybe it shouldn't be. Larry Wilmore Show. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it myself. Yeah. I mean, it was an awesome show, especially when you get um, Lance Bass being told to keep it 100. Yeah. Would you pay to go to out? Would you let Chick-fil-A send you to outer space? And he just said, I'll, t- no matter how much hate chicken it takes, if it gets me to outer, outer space. <laughs> so, now, with, now, looking at going back to um, Earth Girls Are Easy, kind of having this cult following two times over, but it still isn't the kind of cult following that a lot of the other 80s pop musicals have. I mean, you compare this to the, the support something like Xanadu has. Okay, yeah. All right. Or a main, a more mainstream success, quasi musical success like Flashdance did. And hey, there's a lot of people who come out for Grease too. I'll say that. Yeah, Grease two, yeah, Grease two has a serious cult now. There's no denying that. But Earth Girls Are Easy's never quite had. I, I don't understand why it isn't as popular as Xanadu is because they have a lot of at least superficial similarities. But Earth Girls Are Easy hangs together a lot better than sanity oh i i no by when you give it not eight years between runs it's like you know how to do it right after somebody screwed it up that's a good that's a good way of looking at it and with earth girls are easy is interesting because it fits so well in the larger trend of how after E.T., we had so many interesting variations on the basic idea. Because you could divide them up. We we talked about this in an earlier episode. But the sheer number of variations people came up with on E.T. is kind of boggling to think of these days. Yeah. What days, you, you know, you have a hit superhero movie, then you just greenlit more superhero movies. And you're often using the same story structures and character types and beats but while we did have some really direct et ripoffs like your mac and me or your nuki or even tawdry or stuff down the line you were just as often going to have different approaches to the idea like well let's do it with the robot that becomes sentient 
uh, let's do it with, let's do a version where the aliens visit senior citizens. Let's do a version where they come to a depressed urban setting. Okay, so you've just brought up um, short circuit, batteries not included, and mm-hmm. batteries not included. Well, also cocoon. Okay. Or, hey, all right, I was about to say. Alternatively, I would... brother from another planet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and you get even more specific than that. Mm. And there were a surprising number of romantic comedy variations on E.T. Well, I mean, hell, you had Starman, which I know is not a romantic comedy, but... Yeah, that pl- that's basically playing it for drama, and it does it very well. Oh, it's George frickin' Carpenter. Like, Ghosts of Mars stands the test of time. Give me 4K. Thank you. And what... But you also had, like, the Mad Magazine parody of Splash pointed out that that plot is virtually identical to E.T. Yep. You know, you're there. <laughs> you're there on there. Except John Candy, Candy gets to bring up Swedish porn, which makes it far superior. <laughs> or there were a lot, a lot of others. I mean, there was, we, we had Making Mr. Right, which is the film where John Malkovich plays both the scientist and the android he builds. Yeah, I've, I I've, haven't watched it, but I know that one. It's um, another one TVM Underground is shown. With all this said, it's kind of like, let's go over the plot of Earth Girls Are Easy. It does take a little while to get all the pieces on the table. Well, I don't necessarily think that. It's Gina Davis wants to impress her doctor fiance right um yeah he's he's screwing around so julie brown says you just have to be a different person that'll impress him and everything will be fine Mm -hmm. turns out and this is where i give julian temple credit for his direction just for the Mm -hmm. um scene where you girl is fabulously staged scene yeah so it's based mm. it's amazing one thing i've noticed and i know other people have noticed this too is that the even the weaker or campier 80s musicals tend to have much better direction and framing of their musical numbers than you get now well i would actually say that the problem with this movie is that the musical numbers after the make uh makeover scene yeah are kind of just thrown in there yeah it does sometimes yeah i mean because i'm blonde is a very funny song yes but apparently it was not in the original cut it was kind of a last minute add-on okay i could see i could definitely see that when you watch it one of the songs that was you know we are kind of trying to string some songs together i do think the movie covers the edits well but it is true that and this happens with a lot of musicals in general that you do lose a bit of momentum with your songs as it goes on, especially since since your male characters, by definition, aren't really going to burst into songs so much. That kind of leaves the plotting a bit lopsided in that regard. Hey, look, if I if I had the chords <laughs> or, or the booze, because I think if I have the booze, I have the chords. <laughs> We we yeah. could do a lot more musical stuff in my life. Um, right. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that, uh, and this is another interesting comparison point with Xanadu, is that 
at the turn of the millennium, uh, Julie Brown was working on a stage adaptation of this movie. Yeah, I was aware of that. And it was what they were going to do was everybody would get would get to sing, and they were going to include the stuff for this movie, but also a bunch of other '80s numbers. And uh, looking at the song list, uh, they had some really great ideas for it too. And they did do backers auditions uh, with Kristen Chenoweth oh. in Valerie. That that would have been great. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean... like just just before the backers auditions were like not long before nine eleven, and after that disaster, you know, the theater the theater industry had to regroup and the show kind of missed its window i think especially after hairspray and xanadu got their stage adaptations darn it al-qaeda kind of i mean it's a shame because it did sound reading about it it did sound like a pretty promising take i mean i don't know damn it al-qaeda i get the symbolism of knocking down a ziggurat or two but why did you have to affect our entertainment industry? Yeah. No. Okay, no. sorry. I'm not, not trying to be Earth pro-terrorism. <laughs> no, Earth Girls Are Easy is not a perfectly constructed film. No, by by any stretch of the it, imagination. It, it is a little it is a little loosey goosey. Oh no, but, but see watching the well. Watching so Damon Wayans dance off right now is like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that, that's that sequence was originally had a full musical number for I Like a Big and Stupid that was supposed to be a fully staged number and they decided to drop to pull back on that when they did the reshoots I, mm. I do have the DVD release I haven't watched all the deleted scenes but they do have the original version of that sequence included because um, that's a thing mm. so yeah, I mean, it's just bad timing. I mean, this would be... And, okay, here we go into the blasphemy standpoint. Um, well, I will, I will say, Gina Davis looked the same in Tootsie as she does as Valerie in this one. Yeah. And it's oh. like, I, I don't know what happened in the 90s. I mean, she looks great still in the 90s. Yeah. But, but I mean, there's a di- there seems to be a difference between her as um, this comes off of a uh, podcast from the Ringer, the Rewatchables, talking about uh, a league of their own. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm just gonna address it. Do you think Dot dropped the ball on purpose at the end of a League of Their Own, where she gets collided by Kit? That's a good question. I, I I think she did just because I've taken enough collisions. <laughs> you don't drop that mother lover, but I don't know. And then there's a lot of talk about is kid an asshole. It's like I don't know. I, I mean, as long as you're if you're not a the firstborn of a family, I think every uh, kid underneath that the fan that in that structure has a chip on their shoulder. I mean, I look at our family, like, I hate to say it, like, you know, dad is David Stevens, his father is John Jr., his younger brother is John the Third. 
and it's like I think it was a second son passing it on to a second son uh, attention wise um, so it's very much like eh. and I lost track of where I was at it's just uh, oh no it's a league of their own it's like I, I, I benefited from the fact that one year girl so dad was not expecting you to play football Mm-hmm. But look, you clocked a kid before. I think you had the potential. Um, but it's and you knew the word to tee it off. Like for somebody whose ex girlfriend said, "Oh, you're such an English." Somebody so stuck up on English and pronunciations, how you hate the letter C because there's no reason to have it. Should it spell? Should it be spelled K U N T? Instead, <laughs> like, eh. but um, and then so I didn't have to worry about that kind of structure. But you know, this isn't a league of their own podcast, and I will just basically say Lori Petty is one of my crushes of all time. So we will not speak ill of her characters. So I'm sorry to get on that about Gina Davis. It's just, I'm just saying there's a, there's like a, in the nineties, there seemed to be like a lack of, dare I say, baby fat on her from elite, uh, maybe even as far back as Thelma and Louise. Like she really kind of like, she played 20 something for gosh knows how long. And she looks fine as a 30 something. Yeah. It's interesting to consider that although Gina Davis does have genuine feminist bona fides that she really cultivated in the 90s. Yes. She's as good as playing ditzy characters. Oh, no, it's she's she's that. The show Buffalo Bill, there was the. Yeah, I saw that in there. Family Ties. Mm -hmm. She did two episodes. Well, and Tootsie for. Yeah, that was her debut. And. Um, the two episodes she did of Family Ties, she can play these really, really ditzy characters really well too. Which is which is the fun of yeah. uh, this feature is because she knows she shouldn't be ditzy. Yeah, the the show, it, the movie is just self aware enough mm. that yeah. it, that everybody knows just how to play this material. Mm-hmm. It, it's not easy to get this kind of light farce right. Oh. I mean, you compare it to something more straightforward like Xanadu or I'm trying to think of other examples of this kind of movie that's really trying to play it light or even something like Enchanted. Okay, yeah, that's a good... It actually has a lot of similarities to a lot of these 80s fantasies. Um. It is not easy to be just self-aware enough that it works as a spoof, but also is sincere enough that you care about how it plays out. Mm-hmm. I know that this movie played B-Fest in 2006, I think it was, and it did not go over well with the crowd because they couldn't really heckle it. Well, that that, that is being a B-Fest... Um... See, yeah. be fast. Yeah, I can say that does help. Like, I mean, look, uh, Fire Walker is not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it yeah. helps 
to have people cheer to see the can't the sea yeah at the beginning of the movie um and i'm just watching as uh ted arrives back at the house and it's like yeah look jeff damon you do a good job but kevin klein is a definitive fish eater yeah um actually one thing i love about jeff goldblum in this film and you know he was kind of on a tear at this time because this was the one point in his career because you know, after Jurassic Park, he is mainly been a supporting play, but he mm. could carry films as a, a lead or at least romantically. Well, with that said, I mean, there's fans of Hideaway. Oh, I kind of like Hideaway. Yeah, it it's a very goofy, campy thing, and these special effects in that movie are quite embarrassing. But uh, Hideaway. He really does sell that movie as much as anyone could have. It, I mean, it, it's one of his, it, it was going to be one of his last leading vehicles. Yes, I am Another aware of that. Go out on. Which, with that said, do we need to figure a way to get Damon Wayans and Jeff Goldblum back together? Yeah, because they did pretty well playing off of each other in great white hype too right that's what i'm saying it's like yeah we need the trilogy i'm like like the problem with doing two movies is that you have to do the third Mm -hmm. and then whatever happens afterwards well it just happens i mean i'm a big john wick fan and it's like and i loved and there was a movie i was thinking of recently that's coming out does not come to immediate mind maybe it is jurassic uh world uh dominion which is when summer officially starts um it's like once you do you know two movies here it's like no you need to do a third and then everything else is whatever habit like as i say big john wick guy and i'm hoping with uh jurassic world dominion and there's a chance it's going to pull it off. It's going to do fan service right. Hmm. Maybe, Which yeah. I, I'm saying there's a chance. I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet my left nut on it. Which is something. Look, I, and I only say a body part just because I have so many to spare. Like, oh, I'll bet two finger. I'll I'll bet four of my fingers. I don't need those. <laughs> I'll I'll bet one nut. <laughs> um that yeah so uh internet if um i will bet a nut that (laughs) jurassic world dominion's worth your time (laughs) i just want to see the challenge taken up so (laughs) um but no i don't know why you would throw jeff goldblum into this movie and make him face dinosaurs if it wasn't for fan service right so here's hoping but that was a stupid idea jurassic world like let's bring the guy who officially died in the book (laughs) back for this one like eh? i mean i could have written it something better like julian moore being a bitter ex-girlfriend or yeah vince vaughn being his kid which is pushing it but yeah so 
All right. So let's see. Um, but I guess when we were talking about the musical aspects of this, I hate to say it, and I'm walking around that blasphemous line. I could see this being remade with a bunch of pop starlets. You know, it's this is one of those movies where it's kind of surprising they haven't done that already. Well, I could one Lionsgate owns it right now, so not very surprising. But another thing about it is, uh, just well, and I I just want to say, like, as I'm watching them cruise down the valley, it brings me flashbacks to Valley Girl, right? And Valley Girl was remade. Well, I didn't want to think about that, but thank you. The thing is, in 2015, Britney Spears and Iggy Azalea did a video called Pretty Girls that's a direct homage to this movie. Um, I well, you know, I think Britney's a little, Britney's damn near my age. So I think that disqualifies her. Sorry. And Iggy is just so Iggy's just so weird. Crashes into the pool and Spears gives her a makeover. I'm looking at the Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, Iggy's just a little too weird. I, I would just just stick with Miley and um, but yeah, of yeah. all the 80s movies that have not yet been put through the remake ringer, it's kind of surprising they haven't got to this one yet. Well, as I said, Lionsgates has the possession right now. Yeah. Um, so, with all that said, uh, what do you think... Uh, and there's not a lot of scenes, dare I say, but I, I took it down as a note. So, when the um, spaceship cl- crashes, you have the brief Wayans carry Goldblum Ballet. I, I hate to say it, it's like Goldblum, like I'm hoping for a lot of physical humor from him. You don't really get that from that this movie. Yeah. Well, he's more the straight man of the trio. I, I give you that. It's but interesting. It's... It is interesting that the that um the cons the dynamic predates um the the this was actually being filmed just as over in New York, uh, Blue Man Group was first being developed. Oh. It's kind, of kind of a similar dynamic conceptually. Oh, yeah. I've seen Blue Man Group, so I can definitely uh, attest to that. Yeah. And another interesting thing, but it is an interesting dynamic that Goldblum doesn't get a lot of dialogue in this movie. That's true. It, that's unusual one because one of the things we associate with Jeff Goldblum is you know being very very talkative, and by this point in his career that was kind of becoming his thing. You look at the other romantic comedy he did around, comedies he was doing around this time like Vibes or The Tall Guy. Now that's a movie that somebody's sitting on The Tall Guy because there there's no reason Emma Thompson's first movie should not be available. No, I hear you there. This, uh, this is a this is a guy who loved Howard's End. So, yeah. well, th- th- this was her that the Tall Guy was her first movie back when she was mostly known for comedy on television. 
Mm-hmm. And it's got Rowan Atkinson in it, you know. It, it's a very uh, tall guy. It's an excellent comedy. You can't find it anywhere right now. Yeah, no, early, I'm I'm very it's an ups- early Miramax pickup in this country. No, that I'm very no, I'm very upset. You have, I mean, hell, I know Geraldine James from other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, Rowan Atkinson. Like, I don't know. We need a video game, a fighting game. Dare I say? <laughs> Where you that's, put the that's another thing. You um, put the awkward people, like your Jim Carrey's yeah. versus your Jeff Goldblum's versus your Rowan Atkinson's versus yeah. your. It, it really- no, um, Tall Guy is also Richard Curtis's first screen one. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah, and, and it's inspired by his experiences working with Atkinson as a straight man on stage. That's interesting. I mean, look, I, I got to revisit. Because Goldblum in that film is playing uh, an American actor who's been stuck as the Atkinson's character Stooge in a stage act. Well, I got to, I'm just saying, I got to rewatch Pirate Radio. I wasn't overly impressed yeah. Dare I say the book, the boat that rocks yeah. when I saw it. Dare I am, and let me apologize to all my fellow students at Illinois Central College when I wrote that review. Uh, so, but, uh, it was a harbinger, no, but but with but with Goldblum, it's neat to see him in a role that he basically plays with his physicality. And the fact mm. that he can hold his own with Waynes and Carey in that regard is really impressive. Oh, no, I'll give him that. I mean, he's definitely not Carey expected to... Because Carey and Waynes also make this great double act when they're alone, like the accidental gas station robbery. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. I'm Actually, the dream sequence is running across the my head right now. Is the dream sequence might... I think the stretch from when... Uh, Goldblum and Davis hook up in the bedroom and then fall fa- that straight on seals with the dream sequence was the point when I first saw the movie that I thought this thing is brilliant you know I and that is a note I took because obviously this movie should not be a PG yeah um, and it just it just brings me back to your aside from the aside from the imagery of uh, the robot from Lost in Space, and later on in the movie, you get the uh, car. I think was driven by I one of the. I I swear it was from Death Race two thousand. Hmm. Um, I think I just can't remember the name because it's not Attila Hun, and it's definitely not um the uh one the guy the guy who plays Crease from freaking uh. Karate Kid's vehicle um, is in is in the gas station robbery actually, yeah. but um, which kind of makes me wonder is like was there Corman money behind this movie at any point? I don't think no. There that that no, it was uh, DEG money. Well, that's about the same thing in all honesty. That's a good point. By that point, for that company, yeah. Um, I just funny that some of the this was one of those sad cases where some of the stuff that they were that the stu- that the company had to offload when it went belly up wound up becoming successful for other companies oh with that said evil dead the video game has just been released i don't know about the pvp person versus person concept but 
they hate they get the right they had access to army of darkness which was the deg movie mm-hmm. which if you listen to a bunch of podcasts bruce campbell's done it's like yeah basically i was you know we were just waiting for that movie to finally get cleared but in the meantime i got to sit around universal studios and hear about how awful Waterworld was going to be mm-hmm. um so yeah let's see just going through my notes so yeah um so again we haven't really gone over the plot aliens land in the swimming pool of (laughs) gina davis whose fiance is a doctor who hey maybe it's the fact the wedding's coming up and you feel like there's a part of me, and I'll, I'll be honest, with my relationship status, and I know Allie of Allie's Accessory Shop on Etsy's Trash Feature Review is currently engaged. It's kind of like, well, maybe if I can get um, one more relationship in there, I'd go back yeah. to You know, the last fling, fling concept. Mm-hmm. So when you have a sexy Jeff Goldblum, which I cannot deny is a sexy jeff goldblum yeah i mean this is what 35 year old jeff goldblum um i think uh, 1987 uh, yeah roughly 35 yeah no i mean look if talent was an std i would line my bum up for it and not not have any regrets about my stature as a heterosexual that's why i do call myself heteroflexible but um lands in her swimming pool with jim carrey and damon wayans as aliens who are they're a bit horny let's let's just be honest about it and that's how they end up crashing on the planet is they're looking at earth chicks and jeff goldblum has to save the day so it's basically two people just meeting when you break it down, it's about two people meeting each other at the same time, at the, just the right time. Yeah, it's one of those whirlwind, wild weekend things. Very serendipitous, like my last podcast involving yeah. turning red dwarf. All right. Um, so, yeah. And it does it very well, honestly, especially when she really doesn't want to give up her life in this movie. Yeah, right. Um, you do actually, a lot of romantic comedies don't sell me on why the couple doesn't get together sooner. This one actually makes it work. Oh, no. I, she's a little nervous about running off with an alien, but also she still does care about Ted, and he's promising to change. Yeah, which is kind of... Girls Rocket. You know, that is one of the oh. sadder stories of someone who, you know, could have been huge, but the... So, is Charles Rocket is Charles Rocket a former SNL guy? He was supposed to be the big breakout in the uh, sixth season. Okay, which he is was, 1980, which was 19, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, 1980, 81. And yeah. He, he was supposed to be the Chevy Chase of the group. He, he They gave him the weekend update stuff. And, you know, he, because, you know, Chevy Chase, you know, he kind of had the looks. But then 
uh, he's the guy who went off and said the F word during live broadcast unplanned. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it was what turned out to be the second to last episode of the season, that season, which got curtailed as much by uh, a strike that was going on as anything. And what they what they were doing was the that episode was being hosted by Charlene Tilton, who was on Dallas. And of course, this was on the heels of the famous Who Shot JR cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they were doing parody in that episode. This episode, a running sketch in this particular Saturday Night Live, in which Charles Rocket got shot by somebody and everybody was trying to figure Right. Out. No, I do remember that. Yeah. Who who shot CR? And then during the as they were getting ready to reveal it, and this was close to the good nights, uh, Rocket just ad-libbed, I'd like to know who the F did it. Oh, God. That caused us, I've heard, read an interesting theory that was broached in uh, the authorized biography of Andy Kaufman that this might have been an attempt to catch some, because this was like a week or two after Andy Kaufman had been allowed to go off script on Fridays. And that had, that had made headlines. Yeah, and but that was Lauren that. Michaels on Fridays, right? Well, no, it, it oh. was another fella. Lauren Michaels was just off the scene at this point. Really. Okay, I didn't know that. I thought he was involved with Fridays, but. No, uh, well, he wasn't involved with that. But some there was an interesting theory I've seen suggested that it may not have been a coincidence that SNL was, you know, kind of dire straits by that point in the season. They were trying to get some of that controversy heat going, and it didn't work nearly as well. And Rocket and most of the other cast members got sacked not long afterward. You know, they kept Eddie Murphy and they kept Joe Piscopo. And Rocket's career never really went anywhere after that. I mean, he got work on a fairly consistent basis. He was in the early seasons of Touched by an Angel, even. Well, that doesn't really say much it, for you, but... No, it it's sad how that worked out. Yeah. But, yeah, at, at one point, Rocket was being groomed to be kind of the next Chevy Chase. Huh. And you kind of see he could have done it. No, I'm not questioning that. Well, I don't know. Um, you don't see that comedic element in Charles Rocket in this movie. Not exactly, no. I mean, was... Chevy Chase has always got that. Mm -hmm. Even when he's going off on people on set. like, <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that sounds like Chevy Chase. But no, dying at 56, like, mm -hmm. for me, I mean, that's 12 years and um, 14 years, respectively. Yeah, it doesn't really sound cool. Just for being in a bad season of SNL, which isn't your fault. Or I'd like to think it wasn't your fault. <laughs> Probably wasn't. Yeah, I mean, which kind of brings me to my point in my notes. Like, oh, like, um, no, it's not messages. Where the okay, documents. Sorry, I'm trying to do a dual screen, but I got a Chromecast and then, and I got 
the excellent number of when you're blonde and it's just it just doesn't fit in the movie yeah it, it was uh, a minute change i mean it deserves to be in the movie it's just a yeah yeah that that's my biggest complaint so um and it makes me feel bad after we go through the story of charles rocket and it's like I could have done with more taunting of Charles Rocket. Yeah. Like, I want to see him go to the point where he offs himself. Let's go full R-rated with his fate. No, no. I like how uh, movie as it is. No, 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 no. As a cat lover? No. No, 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 no. No. I love me some pussy, but not that kind of pussy. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know if that was a slip up by Mac that Charles Rock Ted is all about Bambi the cat. <laughs> like, uh, no, no, man. I'm pissed off the kitty didn't get to go with them back to their home planet. Lick, yeah, the jar. Throwing my best guess at their home planet. Gisala is the name of the planet. Okay. You see, I studied Mandarin for two years, so I like to throw H's ahead of my Z's. So. <laughs> but no, I um, no, I really have grown a real soft spot for Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh no, this is a this is a film that definitely deserves. Like no, everybody. I'm going to say three and a half stars just because I don't understand letterbox. Like, look, Raj had it right. Four stars. I I mean, I, I bloody hate it when I watch commercials or video games and say, oh, this movie, this video games, they're perfect. 9.5. Yeah, Roger Ebert gave it three stars out of four. Well, that's, that sounds goddamn appropriate. I mean, it's it's a movie that I don't I don't know how you can't enjoy. Yeah, I, the main complaint because I have your copy of the book at Astra, which is this wonderful collection of old newspaper ads from eighties mm-hmm. and sci-fi fantasy movies. I have here at home, and they they have a listing of some of the this movie had, including Ebert's, and the others felt, and the people who didn't like it just felt. Uh, well, David Edelstein's quote from New York Post, it's like a beach ball with a slow leak. Plastic and colorful and bouncy and fun until you notice it's not staying airborne. Look, as a professional wrestler who's like has to deal with and it hasn't been that bad since the pandemic, but before that, uh fans making the show about themselves after Wrestlemania and beach balls actually being involved. <laughs> I understand that review wholeheartedly. But yeah. this is this is definitely like that's what I hate about letterboxes like all right would I give this three out of four or dare I say six out of eight if you break it down even further. I yeah, give I'd give yeah. this I'd give this seven out of eight. Yeah, I, I I'm, originally gave it like four, but I think maybe a four or four and a half. But I've since upgraded to five. It's kind of that 
perfect white entertainment. I'm looking for it hits a lot in my butt. Oh no! Look, as I told you going into this podcast, yeah. uh, if I was going to address Ali's accessory shop on Etsy's, which offers great products, trash feature reviews, which she never liked the fact that I brought that up. Hey, it inspired her to buy the right DVDs for me. Yeah. Uh, L.A. Story. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm just not up for a Steve Martin comedy where he's got to deal with Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, God bless Matthew Broderick for dealing with weird noses. Sorry. you. I hear that and it's like, oh, you know I'm talking about Jennifer Grey. Um, <laughs> But it's like, this is not the kind of movie I want to watch. I want wacky shit. And this movie gives it to me. It gives me a nice romantic story. I mean, aside from the possibility of feline rape from Charles Rocket, what is the dislike? I mean, look, we bring in Randy's Donuts for Christ's sake. Which is kind of offensive that I had to hold myself back for saying the F word. And I'm not a Christian. <laughs> and like going to Christ's sake. But, but live entertainment is very, a lot harder to pull off than people think. Because it's very easy to overplay your hand. Oh. Or like something like Mamma Mia that doesn't really appeal to me is that it seems like it's more that the actors are having fun, but it's not coming across to the audience so much. Um, Unless you're a very specific kind of viewer. Well, I will say of Mamma Mia, because I finally heard the SOS song. Uh-huh. And, like, Chris Jericho's band Fozzie does an excellent cover SOS. That's If it wasn't for that song, I would not take that band seriously. And I would probably not know the lyrics to Chris Jericho's theme song, Judas. Mm-hmm. And sing along every Wednesday bloody night with the TNT audience or TBS audience, I should say. So I don't know. I think in the end, we need a lot more weirder shit to be just thrown in the front of the faces of mainstream. Yeah, it is that the way that the mainstream filmmaking has contracted in the past 20 years or so has squeezed mid-budget movies like this or Bill and Ted or real comedy as a whole in this country. Oh, no, no. Comedy is comedy is almost lost because you have to consider a Chinese audience who's going to not the Chinese audience, but the Chinese government is expecting you to be sensitive to their concepts. It's like... I don't just, think that's an issue. Much, is it? Well, I just say that is because if you let people act as crazy as Jim Carrey in this movie, I think you'd ruffle some feathers. If people are inspired to just act like our supporting characters in this movie. Uh, 
we had a brief interruption on my end. It it had to reload or something. Okay. I hear you. Okay. No, I'm just saying it's like, all right, this is funny stuff, but I can definitely see where it's going to offend international audiences. Yeah, we're looking, it is a weird time for comedy as a whole because we don't really have the pipeline of talent being funneled into movies in the first place. Yeah, I mean, that, I will say that goes with, um, oh, geez, who's the bloke who did short-ass movies? Pete Davidson? Yeah, Pete Davidson. Right, look, I'll just say it, he's he's a great stand-up comedian, but aside from observation, he's not worth a damn in terms of the creative narrative. Right, but you think about it, there hasn't really been a new sitcom or sketch comedy star who can carry their talent, who has a big enough talent for movies. Oh, oh, geez, now it's just feeling bad about everything. With that said, sorry, but no, no, but with that, lately because I've been going back to a, a lot of Jim Carrey movies lately, as I've kind of wrapped up the Jeff Goldblum deep dive, more or less. You know, I finally got around to the Boss Baby sequel and stuff. So there's like maybe one or two minor parts left. But I've been going back to a lot of the Jim Carrey 90s movies in particular. Yeah. And it's amazing how well some of these hold up and how much I remember. Because I don't think I ever watched Ace Ventura Pet Detective Stem the Stern so much. Oh, no, I I wouldn't blame you at that point. That was me and my little... but I had it on the other day. I was looking at the, the first Ace. The first Ace Ventura holds up pretty well. The, and I, it was amazing. I had it on, you know, in the background. But I was, I was realizing all this stuff was coming back mm-hmm. that I absorbed almost through osmosis because you guys had, you know, were running that all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get that. This is why your kids need TVs in their own rooms. <laughs> I'm not sure you should go that far. Well, look, this might be coming some from somebody who needs to di- ditch an extra TV. Oh, John needs wants a TV in his room? I have one. <laughs> but I'm looking at the uh, star-making Jim Carrey movies in the 90s, especially The Mask, which holds up beautifully. Oh, gosh. Like, I am sorry that you bought that dual pack. It's like, no, I have that Apple iTunes. I set up your I set up your fire stick for that. Well, the Blu-ray of The Mask has a bunch of wonderful stuff. Well, I can't promise you that. Like, the commentary tracks. And yes, as I said, I couldn't promise you that. But, and there's just this strong presence that Carrie has as a performer. And I say has, because if you look at stuff like kidding, he still has it. Oh no. No, as I said, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for dating, for living with a girl who had a lot of mental issues. Yeah. I'd been through kidding by now. Yeah. But with that, and you don't see, like you look at, people in the marvel movies oh all right 
I love where we're going. They, <laughs> they don't have that. They do not cast actors with that kind of really strong presence that people like Carrie or Goldblum or Davis had. And well, I would say again, going back to uh, Doctor Strange, Cumberbatch, but. I don't know about Well, no, but here's the thing is it's like, who am I supposed to give a shit about? Mm-hmm. Like, Tom Holland's like, is he more than Spider Man? Really? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, Cumberbatch came into that as a form, fully formed actor. And I could say the same mm-hmm. thing about Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Uh, Chris Evans, he was swinging and he was just taking his best swings. Chris Hemsworth, the same way, despite I want to do a podcast about uh, Cabin in the Woods. Hopefully that'll work out. Like, yeah, besides Robert Downey Jr., who did you have that was known going into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? We had Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's not yeah, like... No, no, no. She, right, no. She had her... I, you know, you can say what you like about Goop. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good career move on Gwyneth Paltrow's behalf. Nobody, nobody's going to, and it's smacking sad that nobody's going to take a woman seriously. To the point where she's going to be selling vagina eggs. But it's, it was, it's interesting to consider that we, that nowadays the franchise filmmakers cast performers who it's not to say they're not talented no they definitely don't have the strong presence that you get from someone like jim carrey that could really sell a movie and could elevate a movie right your force of a presence coming through because i'd be happy if luke hemsworth luke hemsworth got a role in the mcu oh sorry and i'm and i was watching um the uh the boys diabolical uh animated series last night mm-hmm. and it was kind of like frustrating like god damn i love carl urban as the butcher but jason isaacs doing the voice work it's like ah. I mean, that's that's what that's just kind of where I'm at. It's like there's so many great actors out there. It's almost like I'd rather we change the character every bloody movie to a different actor. That's, like, a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Well, I mean, look, Thor: The Dark World. Like, okay, don't get me wrong, Thor: Ragnarok, Ragnarok, mother loving gold. But you know what? Why not push another blonde dude for Thor the Dark World? Let's just put it this Well, let's just put it this way. We had John Lazenby. Um it was was it John Lazenby? George Lazenby. Thank you very much. George Lazenby, which I understand why a lot of people say that's his James Bond. Uh, it goes back to the um, comedy series based off the guy who did, um, who ended up doing Big Trouble. 
Mm-hmm. The I can't remember the name of the writer. Dave Barry. Dave Barry. On his television series, they had a point where they said, he doesn't even know who's the best James Bond. George Lazenby is what the Dave Barry uh, surrogate said. You try convincing him of that. That's what I'm just saying. It's like, we did go from Sean Connery to George Lazenby to Sean Connery. It's not like we can't course correct. I guess I'd like to see more more risk in cinema, I dare say. Well, no, I think a lot of us do at this point, but there, this is not the time for that, for this increasingly corporate industry. And it's hard to see how that's going to drown because, you know, right now, it is the most corporate projects that are sucking up all the air in the theaters and they're making all the money. And even though there are some smaller films that are making scratch and more limited releases, like Everything Everywhere All at Once. The the answer to your uh, question is Sandra O. Oh, and we'll end it at that. <laughs> Sorry. She 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 was the mom in um, Turning Red. She's the mom in Turning Red. Yeah. Sorry, you, I'm getting. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. But you know, we're kind of winding this down. Yes, definitely. It's very hard right now to get anything greenlit known quantity if you're going to put serious money behind it. And even that's not a total guarantee. I mean, we've seen uh, Warner Brothers is, seems to be conceding defeat with the Fantastic Beasts series. Yeah. supposed to go to five films, but all indications show that this third one was the last. Well, I would go for you know, a, I, I would go, I would go like the money says go for a fourth one just to conclude. But yeah, I hear you there. So yeah, I was saying the the fourth the fourth movie, I think there should be a fourth movie just for fourth movie's sake. But I hear you. Yeah. What do you mean fourth movie's sake? Well, no, I, I just think I haven't seen the third movie in the Fantastic Beast, but if you didn't include it, well, I'm there for a fourth movie. No, the general consensus seems to be that although they didn't say it was the final movie, it ends in a way that it easily could work as the final movie. Well, all right. I'm going to censor it anyhow. Smack J.K. Rowling for... um, trying to side with the person who you gave 60 million dollars to to be recasted i didn't think we were going to go into johnny depp amber heard stuff but hey i was kind of pissed when i said when i decided okay let's see how my tweet about how johnny depp is essentially michael jackson and has an irrational Mm -hmm. fan fan base and some woman goes and says you know, and to her credit, she screenshot my image. Uh-huh. Says, oh, this is why Elon Musk bought Twitter. I'm sorry, did Elon Musk 
want to shag Amber Heard that bad? No. Look, it, it's... I hate to say it because I always like to say that people are generally conservative until they make sure they get what they want. Like, I knew a lot of people who were for gay marriage, and then it's like, oh, gun control? Screw that. And it's like, I'm just saying, like, look, I'm all for everything left, but I'm not for villainizing anybody, which is basically what the Johnny Depp Club has done. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think until now people realized just how obsessive that fan base was. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, though. I mean, I've known about it for a while, but for at least a while on YouTube when I was, you know, when I was, I I wanted to look up like old 80s commercials or stuff like that, but the front page would be full of all these videos made by the Johnny Depp fans and getting recommended. And this was a problem I noticed a bunch of other people you know, Twitter acquaintances were having that they kept getting, kept seeing these videos that they didn't ask for. And yeah. that, you know, and it was just kind of horrifying how they were treating this whole situation as entertainment. Right. Look, Amber Heard is somebody who has been hurt by Johnny Depp. Maybe it's yeah. her own fault. I'm not going to say she didn't put herself in the position but if we go and villainize her for expressing it mm-hmm. like what's that say about us like we're feminists until we piss on the edward scissor hands no it, it's just weird i can't claim to be an expert on it but the whole situation comes off as very very tasteless and yeah thoughtless. no right and, and it's, it's genuinely damaging yeah to Beyond the Amber Heard thing, there was an article in USA Today saying this is going to be harder for domestic abuse victims to come forward. Right, if they think they're going to be villainized by yeah. the the abusers, fans. Right. I mean, I'm and hey, if anything, it's just a white problem because I think Rihanna got out okay with Chris Brown. Right, but... there wasn't anything... It wasn't this bad with other similar situations. And you're right, there's probably race has a lot to do with it. And it's just Oh, don't really don't say I'm right about that. I do not want to be the person to say, Oh, I know racism. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I'm going back um, to right. but going back to what's happened with Fantastic Beast series, I mean if you look at how the box office has turned out, three hundred thirty million. Yep. But for reference, but by a reference point, that that's not that much. It hasn't done much more business internationally when you tally it all up than Sonic the Hedgehog two did, which cost that's... about half as much. Well, as I'd say, the numbers are all right, and I can do the math, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, look, people be Jeff and Gina Mm -hmm. is the answer to that. Like, you know what? 
they had a good time. And one got dinosaurs, one got baseball. Mm. Like, you know what? You move on. And you should support people in finding their dinosaurs or their baseball. (laughs) And not shit on people. Because they don't like the other person. Yeah. That's why I'm Team Amber. Just because there's a lot less shit <laughs> coming from that side. And well, I've dealt I and being somebody who's had to deal with um like it goes back to my relationship with Stephanie Smith. It's like I definitely understand where she could have gone nuts over me trying to make sure she didn't hurt herself. And since I understood that concept, it's like if you're not willing to possibly comprehend why somebody would say something, then you're just a lazy butthole. I'm just saying I'm not I don't want to talk about taking sides. No, and you your best no, nope, nope, you're best off not. I, I'm just saying where I'm at, it's like look, I could have walked away and she could have fallen off a roof. But hey, she fell off a roof on her own. The fact of the matter is I didn't want her to fall off a roof. <laughs> That's my entire domestic battery scenario. And as we see the spaceship go through the donut asteroid, (laughs) is that supposed, like, I'm trying to think of the metaphor there. Is that supposed to to be Gina and Jeff doing more banging or just a passage of time? That is a brilliant way to end your movie. (laughs) If only the Rum Diaries could have diverted so far off from Hunter S. Thompson, that they could have come up with that image. Well, that's a strange way to end our discussion, but... Hey, no, look, Johnny Depp, if you're such an artist, you could have done that. <laughs> so Remember, kids, don't do what Johnny Depp does. That is a more... <laughs> That is that is the ultimate disclaimer. Thank you, Rory, for coming up with that one. I mean, look, Johnny Depp didn't, as far as you know, Johnny Depp, the worst thing he did before Amber Heard was changing a Renona type to, to why no? Correct? There's other stuff. Well, I'm just... No, as I say, he's a piece of... He's not a perfect individual. And I and I thank you for the like about me saying that Paul McCartney was in Pirates Five just for the sake of having a the girl is mine moment. Well, it's as good an explanation for that as any. I'm not sure why that happened. Oh God knows. Why the hell would you cross the Beatles with the stones? Yeah. With all that being said, it's um Gosh, I didn't expect this much content. And thank no, you. I, I didn't 
expect that a discussion of Rift Girls are easy would go into so many different directions. Well, I don't know if we went off on that very many different directions. Um, so, Earth Girls are easy. Tina Davis, boyfriend cheats on her, meets Jeff Goldblum, and that's just perfect. No offense. If that happened in your life, Rory. I do wish they had made more films together. Uh, uh, well, you, you, you made the best movie of 2021. According to 90 for Chill. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Give these lovely people a break. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, they, they got married in the middle of the shoot. I did for about three years. I never knew they were married, actually. Yeah, they got married midway through the Earth Girl shoot. Ironically, given uh, what they what Ted plans to do in the climax, they went to Vegas for a weekend and they had a spot. They you know just got married during that time, and they stayed together for about three years. They divorced in nineteen ninety. Um, it seemed to be on amicable terms as far as yeah no no i mean it definitely seems professional yeah not to say that love should be considered on professional terms but i will say with lawyers yes love should be a professional thing sorry Allie. you had your chance you could have just let me have a couple more whale bones of booze (laughs) And dragged me wherever you'd like to, Allie. And I still love Allie. And I'm just saying. That's what you that's what you need, Rory. A trip to Vegas with David. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Because you're a smart professional woman. (laughs) So with the time right now. Well, I didn't mean pragmatic. With all that said, you can find the Poetic Critic's Poetic Musings at letterbox.com slash the Poetic Critic. You can find me at, um, obviously, Main Event of the Dead is where I post all my stuff that got me fired from my previous job. And I'm proud of that since it was later exposed to be a Trump troll who did that to me. and you can follow me on Twitter at CatBusRuss. I'd love to hear your complaints versus people who hate my anti-gun stance. Um, and as they, so otherwise, thanks for coming to the podcast. Thank you, The Poetic Critic. I hope you're doing okay, because I know... Yeah, I'm fine. All right. Um, <laughs> no, no, I know that. But I'm just saying it's it's quite a gracious act on your behalf to you know come back on the show because i know life can be bollocks (laughs) and we're all in this together so thank you okay no no problem all right thanks station harden for keeping me motivated to keep doing these shows um and i hope i keep impressing you otherwise strike me dead and you know if you choose to be my god station that is perfectly fine 
thank you for dealing with my uh, own depression, uh, the poetic critic. And you're welcome. Thanks for just being a great sister and a great friend. Oh, thank you. All you're right. A good brother, too. I'll well, see you later. All right. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Do, 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 do. Superman. Superman. I'll throw that in there because I haven't been able to hit the stop button yet. Can I hear a wahoo?